Okay, so let's backtrack just a little bit to verse 16. Because um, that kind of sets the stage of what, what he says here in these first nine verses of chapter 2. Where he says, I communed, or I reasoned, or I thought in my heart, uh, saying, look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceived that this also was grasping for the wind. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Now, uh, does it sound like verse 16 and 17, he's kind of he's tooting his own horn? Do you believe him? Or do you think he's maybe a little bit inflated? You think he's full of himself? Well, remember what we're reading here, though. Bill says no. Yeah. But remember, I don't remember exactly in Torah where it's written. It says Moses was the meekest man who walked the face of the earth. Now, there are some who believe that that was inserted later. I don't. I don't think it was. I think the Lord inspired him. Remember, inspired scripture. God breathed. Spirit breathed. So um, it's finally starting to cool down in here. This is better. All right. But anyway, um, I think he's writing exactly as the Spirit is leading him to, 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 to write. And, and I, because I, all right, somebody had to be the most wise, right? And that's what he asked God for. And I'll tell you what, I'd rather it be Solomon than Buddha. Or, um, well, never mind. I, I made my point, right? And, and so, you know, one of God's kings, and the, the kingdom is still intact, possibly when he wrote this. Uh, this might have been before. He might have written this. We don't know again, right? But he, he might have written this before the Lord said to him, you know, uh, because of your sin, I'm going to separate ten of the tribes from you. And I will retain Judah and Benjamin for your house for the sake of David, my servant. Right. So. You know, so but but I I think what he's starting to do here, he's starting to to really express this idea that there are some things that are that are uh, that are beyond our ability to easily obtain. I think you're all with me on that one. There are some things that are just very difficult to grab a hold of. As an example, I read in the New Testament about the sovereignty of God. I read in the New Testament about the free will of man. Which one is right? Both of them are right. How do you reconcile that? You... If you want to weigh in, go ahead, but because I don't think you can. But okay, <laughs> see, I I can't decide if you were being funny or you really had something to throw in or both. So anyway, uh, I don't think you can reconcile it. I think a lot of people try to, and I don't. 
there's always a yeah, but in that, right? Because I think if you think about and really give any systematic theology enough thought, you're going to ask enough questions that eventually it cannot be answered. That's my opinion. And, of course, what? Your mileage may vary. All right. So um, I think he's recognizing that there are things that are not easily attainable to us. And, and he, he's talking about really that some of these things um, are beyond even his ability to fully understand. That's why he says in, in verse 18, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Because I've realized that at times in certain areas, the more I know about something, the less I want to. You know, because you are because with knowledge becomes what responsibility. Yeah, now you have to do something with what you know, um, and you have to steward it. Sometimes it's very easy to steward that knowledge. Sometimes it's very difficult to steward that knowledge. And and so that's the problem with wisdom. Now. The funny thing about wisdom, we've been talking about this for a couple weeks now. And the question has come up a couple of times from a few of you, so I'm not just picking on one of you, all right? So is how do we, how do we look at and how do we understand discernment in comparison to wisdom? So I took off on that one this past week. And out of the NIV, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 29, and I will read it to you. In fact, I'll read it to you out of the ESV, too, because I do have it in front of me. Uh, It says, if only they were wise and would understand this and discern what their end will be. If only they were wise and they could discern. Now, to me, ESV, just for fun, if they were wise they would understand this. They would discern their latter end. Now remember, this is, this is Deuteronomy 32, where after you've had the bulk of the giving of the second law, uh, uh, Moses is telling the, the people, the children of Israel, how they're really going to fail. That's the context here, Deuteronomy 32. And Christian standard, says, if only they were wise, they would comprehend this. They would understand, discern. They would understand their fate. Wise and understand or discern are all, both of those words are verbs in that sentence. They're Hebrew verbs. A verb is what? It's an action word. It is something you do, right? So, um, in fact, the NASB says, if only they would discern their future. Um, Throw that out there for you. So I did some more digging, and I looked at Proverbs 14.8. Because remember, some of the keys to understanding Ecclesiastes are found in the book of Proverbs. And it says, Proverbs 14.8, it says, now this is out of the ESV. Um, The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. 
the wisdom of the prudent. That's like saying the wisdom of the wise, really, is to discern his way. Discern here is a verb. It is an action word. It is something you do. Wisdom is a noun. A noun is what? A person, place, or thing. In other words, the person, place, or thing, wisdom, of the prudent is to discern. In other words, so you have this noun-verb relationship. One more for you, just for fun. To know wisdom in Proverbs 1, verse 2. Proverbs 1, 2. And this is out of the NASB, 20. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding. Okay? Again, wisdom is a noun. It is a person, place, or thing. Discern is a verb. So you have the thing, wisdom, and the action that stems forth from the thing, which is discernment. Okay? That's how it's used in the, in fact, because I almost did a full study tonight on, on the, the, the spiritual gift of discernment of spirits, which really comes right out of 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, and it, there's a lot really to, to dive in there on that. And so, uh, so this, um, this particular word that we have for discern, that we, I read to you out of Proverbs chapter 1. It is uh, the Hebrew word, uh, bene, B-E-N-E. Uh, that's the best I can do without a Hebrew accent that I always make, don't do well. And it means to separate mentally, to distinguish something, right? I've got the Nason brothers. I'm separating you mentally. There's Jeff. Right? And there's Gary. No, they're not. Okay. So I discern I, between the two of them. Right? So, and, and believe it, it but don't, don't be offended. But it, but it doesn't take a whole lot of wisdom for me to do that. Okay? You're, you're right. <laughs> Gary's like, what are you talking about? Anyway, I'm, I'm kidding. Okay. So discernment is really an attribute of wisdom. Because if I'm going to discern, because we, I see people discern all the time that are quite foolish. And their discernment appears to be quite foolish. I'm not talking about you, Brian. No, I, Brian's laughing in the back. That's why I said that. And, and so a, a person who discerns, when we think discerning positively, separating, distinguishing between the Gary and the Jeff, Right? That's usually someone who is wise. And so a discerning person is a wise person. That's action, right? A discerning person is noun, wise. And a wise person will discern. Now, as we talked about last week, not all the time, right? Not in every case. And, and that's the thing about spiritual gifts, Was the wisdom that God gave Solomon a spiritual gift? Pat says yes. Mary says yes. John's going to commit. He says yes. It's in the Bible. He asked for it. It's not really, it's not, 
the word of wisdom is listed in 1 Corinthians 12, and I didn't trace it down that deeply into the New Testament, but yes, it's, it's a gift from God that God gave Solomon, and he gave it to Solomon in abundance beyond anybody else. Therefore, because he had wisdom, he was able to do the action of wisdom discerning, okay? So we're good, I hope. Any questions on that? Are you Gary or Jeff? Okay, perfect, me. Uh, we'll go with that. All right, so that's, that's part of what Solomon is dealing with here as he's writing this. The other thing that I wanted to bring to your attention, and this is the ice is a little thinner on this one, okay? But I'm, I'm giving you fair warning. In the time that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, I am not convinced that every single moment of every single day and every single decision that he made was nothing more than just vanity. I think I, I think there there's there's a somewhere in between the two you have this it's a poetic expression and a full-on expression of reality. Somewhere, I think he's, he's dwelling somewhere between the two. I, he's definitely, in my mind, in, in what's called the dark night of the soul when he wrote this. Um, but it, it's like where Hosea, talk, uh, I think it's Hosea talks about where, where the Lord says, uh, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. Now, did God hate Esau? Some people interpret that full-blown literal. I don't think God hated Esau. I think he's making a comparison statement between the descendants of Jacob. Who's that? Israel. And the descendants of Esau, who's that? The Edomites. The Edomites. And who was an Edomite in the New Testament, by the way? Herod, think that one through. That's, that's huge when you apply that verse. Herod, who attempted to put to death Jesus when he was a little baby, Herod's son, who was able to put him to death later on. They were both Edomites who had a, a fond affection. They were kind of part Jew as well, but they had a fond affection for for. Uh, for Jews, um, sort of. Um, so let's move into the second chapter. So he says in his heart, I will test you with mirth. That's the New King James. I did, you know, I, I, uh, mirth, mirth, M-I-R-T-H. Uh, but, it, but, it, but it says pleasure. It's, it's so, he, so now he's, he's doing an experiment it says, I, I've said in my heart, um, I will test you. It's an experiment. He's, he, he's saying this to him. I'm going to test myself with pleasure. Therefore, uh, enjoy pleasure. And surely this also is vanity. So he's looking for pleasure, but he's also looking for something that's beyond 
I think, beyond just the pleasurable experiences. And, and notice, he refers to it as vanity. Then he says of laughter, madness. He takes it a step further. Now, this word madness is interesting because um, it, it can imply a, a sense of, of evilness towards it. It's not just somebody who's insane, but it, it could more be used for someone who would be considered criminally insane. So it's a pretty strong word that he's using here in the Hebrew. Uh, and then he asks the question, what does it accomplish? Um, so what does humor accomplish? What does pleasure accomplish? Do, does the pleasure that we enjoy become the end-all of all end-alls? It can. I, I used to live in Riverside, California. You guys know where Riverside, California is? And my parents lived in Orange County, so often on a Friday night, I would drive to their house in Orange County, right? And driving from Riverside to Orange County was really interesting because going the opposite direction, it was bumper to bumper all the way. And it was filled with campers and trailers, and they're towing boats, and they're towing you name it. And they're going to go out and have a good time for the weekend. And it's kind of interesting because they go out there and they just they just have so much fun that by the time they get back Sunday night, they're exhausted. And then I would drive back on Sunday night after church, and the flow would be the opposite direction. And it was that way every Friday and Sunday every Friday and Sunday night. And it was as if, it, it was interesting because it was as if, I wondered how many of these people uh, lived for the weekend. Now, is it wrong to get away? No, right? No, it's not. Okay, it's not wrong to get away. But does that become your sole source of joy, motivation, is that, is that what you get up? You know, the old lover boy, the band, everyone's working for the weekend, right? Well, yeah. And, and so I, I think what, what he is saying is, is that, ple- because the thing about pleasure is that it can be, f- well, it's like with kids, right? When they're little, you do it, you know, you, you, my granddaughter was fearless. I used to grab her by the ankles and I would swing her and her body would be parallel, and I would be almost thrown up because I was so dizzy. But, and, and then as soon as I put her down, guess what she'd say? Again. You know, and it's like I'm, surpri- I'm surprised I didn't have a heart attack and die just, um, just trying to, to uh, entertain that kid. But that's built into us, right? I love the laughter. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, but, it's, it, and it's, but that's, that's built into all of us. There's nothing... There's nothing wrong with pleasure. There's nothing wrong with the way that we have been made. But it's to what degree do we, these things have to be our go-to. When they have to be our go-to. When we just, we just have to do this. Now sometimes, you know what? You probably do. You probably do. Maybe not. But anyway, but, but at the same time, I think what he's saying is that pleasure for the sake of total fulfillment, 
And that's, I think that's what we need to understand through these nine verses. Any of these things for the sake of total fulfillment are in and of themselves going to be vanity. Because, you know, I think of those people who drove, they'd go out to, they'd go to, a lot of people went to the Colorado River every weekend. And you, they probably did that even from, from where you guys live. That's a long drive, too, you know. And it was like, then you finally get to the point where you get too old, you can't even hook up the trailer. You know, I mean, because that's, that's what's going to happen. You know, and, and, and so, so I'll ask you an unfair question. So what do you do then? Do you, get to the be- do you get to the trailer? Do you get to the beach? Do you get to the river as often as you can? Or do you do and try to invest in something that really gives you a sense of satisfaction, a sense of fulfillment, a sense of completeness that goes beyond just the pleasure? That's one of the things I hated about going to pastor's conferences is that before I know it, it was over. I was like, now I've got to get on an airplane, you know, which I absolutely hate doing, <laughs> and... Uh, and go home. It's not saying you shouldn't do that, right? Uh, sometimes you need to go recharge. Um, sometimes uh, pleasure in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing, um, because really it is that 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 God has created. Has He created us for to live a life of of toiling? Go to Genesis three just for fun in your mind. I'm not going to turn there. Has he created us just to work the ground by the sweat of our board? Has he created us so that we might actually experience life and actually have a sense of, as Larry said, a sense of joy about it? I think that's, that's, uh, that's an important question. You know, Psalm, Psalm 104 really, really talks about this, about how God created the earth as our home, as our place of, to live, as our place to, to have some sense of enjoyment. And then, so in verse 3, he goes on, he says, and I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom. Okay, I'm going to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom, which, by the way, I'll just say it right off the top, I don't think that's a contradiction. Now, I think if you get drunk, I think that's when, because people, would, especially when people are really drunk, <clears throat> I saw the stupidest thing in military bars. I mean, the stupidest things. Just melt, well, we'll just leave it at that for now. Okay, like a guy pouring a pitcher of beer in his boot and drinking it out of the boot. <laughs> what? No, cowboy, cowboy boot. Yeah, it, it wasn't lace up. Yeah, it, you know, or um, or aircraft carrier, Navy pilots. You know what I'm talking about. You don't. Navy pilots would take it. They, old be drinking they take a big long table they they would take pitchers of beer pour i don't know why i'm telling you this but anyway they pour pitchers of beer over the table and they would take a fan at the end of the table and take the cover off the fan so the fan is spinning and then you're to run and you're to do a belly flop and slide along the table and hopefully not hit the fan navy pilots but 
they're, 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 the best men, they're the best men and women in the cockpit, in my opinion. But anyway. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so it says, so he's guiding his heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. So there, there, I think there would be some um, who would even look at this and, and um, who might even say, well, this is, a, this is a verse that is saying you shouldn't be drinking. Um, and I don't think that's saying this. I think what he's doing is, is he's looking to gratify himself by having a glass or two or three or four, anyway, a glass of wine, but he's still guiding his heart with wisdom. So in a sense, he's standing back. Um, and there's a verse that I, that I wanted to bring to your attention that I copied the wrong verse. And let's see if I can find it for you real quick. Um, I think it's out of Psalm 104. Fifteen, Psalm one hundred four, fifteen. Well, for fourteen it says he causes the grass to grow for the cattle, talking about God, and the vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. So it's saying here in the Psalms that he, that, that 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 the Lord brings forth wine to make a man's heart glad. So um, some of you abstain, some of you don't abstain. Um, that's your own conscience. But I, I don't see here as it, in verse 3 at all that any kind of description of what, what might uh, be considered alcohol abuse. And I don't, I don't think that's what's going on here. And again, he, he, in a sense, he, he's still separating himself and maintaining some sense of judgment. I remember one time, I wasn't drinking, um, that I got on an airplane and I was facing backwards. We took off and, and it's raining like cats and dogs. It's rain, I, I hate to fly anyway. So I'm facing backwards and it's raining and we get airborne and we go, we're out of Ontario. We go into a hard right turn and the plane is bouncing like crazy. And you know that feeling that all of a sudden it feels like the plane is falling? Do you know why that feeling happens? Because the plane is falling, okay? And I'm, I'm backwards. I'm sitting backwards. I'm facing my then pastor, and he's got this goofy look on his face. Maybe he was going through the same thing that I was going through. But all of a sudden, I caught the worst case of vertigo that I've ever experienced in my life. I couldn't tell if I was up, down, sideways, or in between. And all I could think was, Thank the Lord God, creator of heaven and earth, that I'm not the one flying this plane right now. So, in a sense, I had enough wisdom, if you will, to be able to step back from my situation because I was, I was like in another planet. My vertigo was that bad. And to realize, okay, somebody else is taking care of this. I just got to ride through whatever it is I'm riding through. And eventually, we broke through the clouds and we hit some smoother air and we came back, you know, and, and uh, we land. I'm still here to tell about it today. Uh, but 
But and I so I I think that's that's part of what Solomon is doing here. He he's kind of holding himself back a little bit to kind of reserve. And he, remember, he, I think he's experimenting. And and he's he's looking at this um, and and saying, okay, what if I had a drink or whatever uh, or two or whatever? Um, is is it going? Is it going to affect me? Is it going to give me more pleasure or and to how to lay a hold on folly? Like I said, I saw the dumbest things in military bars. And just some of the stupidest things that came out of people's mouths, some of the stupidest things that they did. And it was like, that was enough, really, to try to, well, to try to help me to not want to go down that direction. And, and um, yeah, I, I remember the, the beer and the boot thing because I hadn't had a drink all night. And I wasn't drinking at the time at all. And so it was like, th- it was fascinating to me just how stupid the guy was. And, and everybody's cheering him on. You know, and, of course, if you remember the time at the baseball game <laughs> where everybody's been, well, all the people sitting around us have had too much to drink, and I started encouraging not their drinking but their silly behavior if you remember i got two people to get up and start dancing with each other and i was like yeah i i <laughs> it was it was rather fun but uh but uh, it was it was like yeah I, I i'm seeing the folly i'm seeing the folly the foolishness of some of this behavior i think that's part of what he might be referring to as well um till uh till i might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of his life it could sound to me like it's possible that he's trying to trying to navigate his own his own intake of pleasure, including food, including wine. Now remember, he's the king, so he, he's not he's not sitting at his at his kitchen counter when he's having dinner. He's got a huge banquet set in front of him. He's got people probably eating with him. He probably has people playing instruments. There's probably women up dancing. You know, it's, it's a huge type of celebration. This, this isn't somebody sitting in a corner bar somewhere. So it, it, it really, really brings to the, the idea that this is a festive type of occasion. And he's trying to find some balance between that. And trying to figure out, okay, what, what, what is legitimate pleasure and what is something where I'm actually chasing after the wind? You ever chase after the wind? I'll just leave you with that. What was the movie Don Quixote? Wasn't he chasing after the windmill or something like that? He, he, he was, I can't remember completely that, but it went to the well one just too often on that one, huh? Okay. <laughs> we'll go back to the aircraft carrier later. But, um, um, so yeah, I, I think he, he's trying to find some meaning and understand some context between what is meaning. Because again, we can become, remember what they said about John the Baptist and Jesus. I read it the other day and doggone it, I can't remember where it is in the Gospels right now. But John came neither eating nor drinking and what do they say about him? He has a demon. Jesus came both eating and drinking. 
And I don't think it's just talking about Welch's, folks, but that's my opinion. He came neither eating, he came both eating and drinking. What do they refer to him as? A wine bibber, a, a wine bibber. I love that word. I don't know why I like that. A wine bibber and a glutton. So they referred to Jesus as the wine bibber and a glutton. And, and, and he, Jesus goes on to say that, you know, we, we played, uh, we played a dirge for you and you did not mourn. We sang a joyful song and you did not dance. And you had people that just did not want to be satisfied. But within the context, I think where, what, where Solomon is, is going here too is, is he's, I, I think, is, is this trying to steer us away from these absolutes. To steer us away from what's called binary thinking. It's either good or it's bad. It's either black or it's white. It's up or it's down. It's holy or it's sinful. And, and I think there are places that we are called that we, and again, going back to Psalm 104 without rereading it to you, I think, I think there are places that w- we are called to walk in a, in a place or we have the ability to walk in a place to experience some type of pleasure without getting overboard now if any of you ever are in a bar and you're taking off your boot give me a call because i'm going to try to talk you out of that all right because that's excessive all right um or some of the other silly things that i saw but i but i think but i think what he's saying here is yes there's room here for pleasure but don't make pleasure your ultimate um goal in life because it'll let you down It'll let you down. Um, so he, he gets down with pleasure, and now he, he goes into <clears throat> what I, what I, I labeled. Um, oh, one more verse, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. It says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy he gives us richly all things to enjoy what does the word all mean in the greek here it means all okay if for whatever reason you decide that all things is not for you great whatever you eat whatever you drink whatever you do or even whatever you abstain from paul says you do it to what to the glory of god or if you do it, you do it to the glory of God. Not to look like an idiot in a military bar, right? So, um, moving on, verse 4. I made my works great. I built myself houses and I planted myself vineyards. Okay, well, what is he planting vineyards for? What do you, what do you get out of vineyards, especially in the Middle East? Grape juice and table grapes. And do I dare say it? Wine. All right. So I planted vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them, and I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. Now, we know how he does it in verse 7, because he acquired uh, male and female servants and had servants born in my house. And, yes, I had great possessions of herds of flocks, 
than all who were in Jerusalem before me. So he gets involved in all kinds of projects. So, okay, so he's not seeking pleasure anymore. Now what's he going after? Material accomplishments. We could say, now this is, I'm being harsh here, and I think I'm being extreme here. We could say he's flirting with workaholism. Could say that. Maybe not. Your mileage will vary. Even mine does on that one. But he's driven by his accomplishments. And he's looking to his accomplishments to fulfill his sense of purpose, his sense of of well-being. And now, who here went to work every day deciding you're going to go to work and you're going to do a mediocre job? We always have one outlier, don't we? I've worked <laughs> I've worked with guys like that. Yeah. Um But what about those who find their identity in not only what they do, but how well they're able to do it, how much they are able to accomplish? I, I, I hate, I'm picking on the military tonight, but the, so what? It was my branch, so I can do it if I want. Uh, that was prevalent in air traffic control. Your, your, your whole status was how well you did your job. And, you know, but the thing is, is when things got really busy, you didn't want a marginal person sitting next to you. Because uh, if things got really bad, you could end up standing in front of the colonel or the, or the uh, staff judge advocate. Um, so he, he's saying that he accomplished all these works and, 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 and trying to determine whether these things are even, uh, whether they really make life worth living or not. Now, he builds the temple. He builds his own house. Uh, we see this in 1 Kings 7. Uh, it's cited in Second Chronicles 8. He builds gardens. He builds orchards. He builds these pools to water his forest. It's, it's written for us in First Kings chapter 4, verse 33. We won't take the time to look at it. You know, so he's got these irrigation systems. And, of course, is he actually doing any of the work? He is what I call a pointer. You could call him that. Because because he he uh, now it doesn't say a whole lot about how he dealt with his with his servants. Now the other some translations use the word slave. Now in in the book of uh, Deuteronomy, it also Exodus talks about this. Exodus twenty, Deuteronomy fifteen, it says if you if you uh, hire essentially a servant to be your servant or slave, they can, uh, and he's a Hebrew. They can only do it for six years. At the seventh year, you're to go, they're to go free. Exodus doesn't really say this, 
Deuteronomy very much says is, is that not only are you to let them go free, but you are not to let them go free empty-handed. So they're to, they're, you're to give liberally of your flocks, of your produce, uh, of, of your riches to the, the person, the man who served you for six years. And whether, whether or not Solomon did that or not is, is hard to say. Um, in, in 1 Kings chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, it describes essentially how, how Solomon drafted or put into, uh, what's, what's the, the phrase? Uh, conscripted labor, about 30,000 Jews, 30,000 of his own people. Um, David had done that to foreigners, uh, but in First Chronicles chapter 122, but Solomon does this to his own people, and First Kings chapter 12 tells us they resented him for it. Understandable. So he, he, great accomplishments, but at what cost? I, I work with some guys that are assistant pastors. Um, some of them, you, their pastors are household names. You might know who they are. And to hear what those guys have to do in a given week to keep building the empire and and it's and I hope they never listen to this and it's everything within me to not say to them as I'm talking to them on a zoom chat I am so glad I don't have your job a lot of high expectations. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, he's accomplishing great things, but at what cost? And then, and then to turn around and say, I've gathered for myself silver and gold and special treasures of kings and of the provinces, and I acquired male and female singers. Now, that's a hard translation. And, I, and I, I probably shouldn't mention this, but I, I, I believe it's in the Hebrew it's only referring to the feminine here. It could be almost a euphemism toward his concubines, not necessarily singers. Um, but he acquired male and female singers, which had to go along with the dinners, right, of course, both after dinner but also dur- during the dinner because he had to have the band playing. Right while they're they're having these these feasts, and um, and the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kind, so that really kind of ties in the the whole festive uh, atmosphere that he's talking about. Really, when they're when they're when they're together and they're eating. Now, this may or may not have been an every night occurrence. We don't know. Hard to say. But then again, remember he's a finger pointer. So he's got other people that can make that happen for him. He didn't cook his own meals. He didn't crush his own grapes. Right? But he, 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 he really wasn't a delegator. In fact, he really does fit the classical description of a tyrant. So did his father David. It's 
<laughs> therefore is the scripture, particularly when David transgressed with Bathsheba. But David was also a man after God's own heart. So these things are not always clear cut and dried. And they're 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 problematic for us to walk through. And I think again, as I mentioned this last week, uh, how important it is that we walk with these things and evaluate these things and use wisdom to discern these things right with humility. And the verse nine, so I became greatly excelled uh, more than all those who were before me in Jerusalem. Uh, and my also my ris wisdom remained with me. Now, do I think he's deceived in saying that? No, I don't think he's deceived in saying that. I think he's truthfully saying that. He's being inspired by the Holy Spirit to say that. And so, Tim, I have to apologize to you now because I really wanted to go into 10 and 11, but I'll just read it for you real quick, unless you would like to read it for us. Um, okay, thanks, Tim. So, okay, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. What did, what, I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. Now, imagine being that. You ever seen something that you really, really want, and you know you don't have the money for it? And even if you do have the money for it, maybe you can't talk your wife into getting it. Uh, <laughs> and and you, know, you know, you think, well, I could just charge it, you know, which I hate doing, right? And, and, but he had no boundaries. If he wanted it, it was his. It was his reward. You're right. Because did he work hard? He worked very hard. Did he build the temple for, for, uh, for the Lord in Jerusalem? Of course he did. So I didn't withhold for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. Look what I have accomplished. And, and should you be proud of your labor? I think so. Who want, besides Brian's friend, who wants to go to work every day and do a mediocre job? And, and, and this was my reward from all my labor. You work hard, you play hard. At least that was, that was the motto at an air traffic control facility. They actually had it hung up over the entryway in, in, the, in the PI. Um, work, and you can um, take that to any kind of imagination you like. <clears throat> but, <coughs> excuse me. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done. And on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. He had wonderful meals. He had wonderful festive occasions. All kinds of women, both men and female singers, great musicians, built all kinds of things indulged in anything that he saw that he wanted when he saw it if he wanted it he got it it was his reward he had no boundaries and then at the end of all of that what does he say it's chasing after the wind it's vanity 
so much for the grand experiment. But, and so I, I can ask you this question. Have you ever had any kids? So, kids. If you ever have any kids, but you never know. Anyway, and that's not prophecy for you, but anyway, you will learn that there are just some things they got to learn themselves. And that's why we are going through this process instead of running back. And, and, and it's funny. if you, you can, In fact, next week, read the back of the book for me again. Because you had me stumped for a second. Cause I'm like, he's not reading verse 12. But anyway, but, but people have to learn this themselves, including the wisest man who ever lived. I think he went into this thing with a lot of reservation. I think he went into this thing with his eyes wide open. And like you said, he's teaching. So as he's, he's going through this process, he's taking good notes. I'll say it a different way. As he's going through this process, he had someone take notes for him because he was Solomon. But as he's going through this process, he's making observations and he's writing them down. That's why I think journaling can be very helpful in, in our Christian walk to be able to, to observe what's going on. And he's talking about what's going on internally. What you talked about at the very beginning of this, Cindy, about pleasure. And so he's talking about what's going on internally with him and how he is reacting to the pleasures and the accomplishments and the things that, that he has done and the rewards that he is receiving because of, I'll just bluntly, the great things that he has done. Building the temple was, was quite an accomplishment. His own palace, quite an accomplishment. So he, he's working through that and saying even the wisest man who ever lived who had everything at his disposal, he could have bought a new car every day if he wanted to. Imagine that. You know, it got dirty. Well, I better trade it in because I want a new, it, the car's dirty, right? What? Or a new chariot or a stre- one of those stretch chariot models, right? Yeah, you know, it, and, and so nothing was beyond his ability to fulfill himself. Nothing. And he says it's still chasing after the wind. It's still vanity. So that's an, this is really speak credible lesson into each of our hearts if we allow it. 